Hi, everybody. This is it. Welcome to the beginning and the end. My name is Michael Starnagel, and this is OIC Sunday Reflection on video and podcast, and this is the end. My last recording from lockdown. Not quite ready to have, but it is the beginning. It is the beginning of something. Something is happening. This Sunday, for the first time since November last year, we will actually be meeting for an Oslo International Church live service here at Hasle Hirka. It's fantastic to be able to do this again, so forgive me for being a bit dramatic in my welcoming words, because of course it's, it's not really the end. For one thing, it's, it's not the end of these video reflections. We'll keep with those up for a while longer, and we're going to keep with the podcast indefinitely. And it's certainly not the end of the pandemic. It's just, it's just a first small step. But it is the end of something, right? And it is the end of something else also, which is the end of our Letters from Lockdown series. And it's a happy coincidence, and also a symbolic one that our last letter from lockdown comes on our first Sunday, somewhat stepping out of it. Moments like this, you know, transitions like this, they make us think, they make us reflect on what happened. What, what was it like to be in lockdown all this time? What are the things that we missed or that we lacked? And what are the things that we are thankful for? What or who are the people that we miss? And who are the people that we are thankful for? As Paul comes to the end of his letter to the followers of Christ in the city of Philippi, he also reflects on his needs in his time of lockdown, living as a prisoner in Rome. And he reflects on the people he is thankful for. And it's awkward. It's awkward. Or at least it can be awkward for us readers when we try to figure out what exactly Paul is trying to say here. Now, some background is important to understand the awkwardness. As some of you may remember, this letter is connected to the Philippians having sent one called Epaphroditus to visit Paul in prison in Rome so that he could care for Paul's needs. Epaphroditus brought with him also a gift, some financial support from the believers in Philippi. So now, at the end of the letter, Paul is thanking them for that gift except he does it in such a convoluted way that we might be left unsure if he's really thanking them at all or not. And I can relate to awkwardness in this kind of situation. I was never too comfortable with the dynamics of generosity when I happened to be on the receiving end. I remember when I was beginning, in the beginning of my ministry, and I used to go around and, and speak in churches and youth camps back in Brazil, and often they would offer me a financial gift. And I honestly did not know what to do with myself in that kind of situation. And in fact, I, I often refused. 
my thought was, I don't really need this. I, I still lived with my parents, so I didn't really have a whole lot of expenses. I, I had an income, I lived comfortably, and I was actually quite privileged in many ways. So I would just tell them to put that money towards some ministry or charity that needed it more than me. And that might sound noble, but I didn't realize that I was missing the point. Until a friend of mine called me out and told me that I was being selfish. And it gave me, gave me a bit of a shock to be called selfish for denying a gift. But then he explained. He told me I was thinking only of my awkwardness in receiving and of my own need or lack of need. I wasn't thinking about their wish to give, about their joy in being generous and blessing me. So he told me, if you don't need the money, you can go ahead and give it afterwards, but you don't have the right to deny them their practice of generosity. It was a hard lesson. I was learning that there was more to the dynamic of generosity and need than a direct material correlation. I was taught a new lesson in this matter on a different occasion from a total stranger, a trash collector in my hometown. I grew up in Brazil, and in my hometown of Curitiba, as well as in many other cities in Brazil, there are these trash collectors, and they go around gathering recyclable trash, mostly metal and cardboard and stuff like that. And they aren't the official trash collectors, they're just people trying to make a living. And they will pull these big carts around, almost like wagons. Some of them might have a horse or, or a donkey, but most are pulling it themselves. And they fill these carts up with trash, and then they sell it to this recycling center. So one winter night, uh, a group of us from my church, we were going around with some buns, bread, uh, and a couple of thermos filled with hot cocoa. Uh, it can get pretty cold at night in the winter over there, and on any given night, you would find a number of people sitting or lying down on the sidewalks downtown. Uh, some were rough sleeping, some had substance abuse issues, and some just lived in poorer neighborhoods further out of town and figured that it was too late and that they would spend the night in the city. So what we were doing on um, that night was just going around and offering them bread and some hot cocoa. And that was it. No strings attached, no flyers, no nothing. Just hot cocoa for cold people having a rough night. And that night, we met this, this one guy who was a trash collector. Uh, and he was too tired from a whole day working downtown and too tired to pull his cart all the way to the, to the collection center, which was way out of town. So he was going to sleep in his cart that night. He was a really nice guy with an easy smile. And he asked what we were doing. We told him, he got a bun, he got some hot cocoa. We chatted for a while and then we moved on. Then about 15 minutes later or so, we crossed his path again. He saw us and he called us and he said, yeah, hey, come here, come here, you guys. Uh, and he asked, so I was curious, how does this Thing that you're doing work. And I asked, what do you mean? And he said, well, who pays for this stuff that you're giving out? Who pays for the bread and the cocoa? And I said, well, we do. We just 
get us some cash among us, we buy the stuff, and that's it. And he opened a big smile and said, I like that. I want in. And then he pulled some cash from his pocket and said, here, here's my contribution. There's a lot of guys out here that could use that cocoa. Part of me wanted to say no. Economically, it made no sense. Right? The, the amount that he gave us could have paid the bread and cocoa that we gave him three times over and more. It was probably worth some hours of his hard work that paid little. But I had learned my lesson. <laughs> there was more than a transaction going on here. So I said, thanks, man. I really appreciate. And I added his cash to the pot. Reading Paul's apparently awkward thank you to the Philippians, it's hard to not start wondering why he answered this way. Was he uncomfortable? Was he upset? Was he being passive aggressive? I want to read for you what he writes. And this is in the chapter 4, the very end of, of Paul's letter to the Philippians, chapter 4 from verse 10. And it says, I rejoiced greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I am not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Yet it was good of you to share in my trouble. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. Not that I desire your gifts. What I desire is that more be credited to your account. I have received full payment and have more than enough. I am amply supplied now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. They are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. That's a long drawn thank you. And because of the way Paul structures this last part of his letter, and also for the very fact that he lives this word of thanks for the very end of his letter, which is weird, this passage has been subject to a range of significantly different interpretations. Why does he drag his thanks like this. It seems like he will say thanks, but then he implies that he didn't really need the gift to begin with. And then it seems again like he's going to finally say thank you, only to say that he doesn't really desire their gifts. So what's going on? Now, some think that Paul is being snarky and that he's actually making a kind of a veiled critique because the gift took so long to reach him. At last, your concern is coming, right? Others think that he's just being awkward because Paul has a declared preference throughout his ministry for not depending on others 
and paying for his ministry out of his own work. So that accepting this gift would have made him uncomfortable, as the theory goes. And then there's all the wild interpretative abuses of verse 16 that make it seem like Paul's faith is a kind of superpower that makes him able to rise above any circumstance victorious, right? I can do all this through him who gives me strength. You take that out of context and do all sorts of things, right? So what is it? Is he bragging? Is he complaining? Is he just too shy or too proud to just say a straight out thank you? The problem with these interpretations, however, is that they focus on Paul. They focus on Paul. And I would argue, and I'm not the only one thinking this, that Paul is not focused on Paul here. Paul answered the way he does because he is concerned with cultivating two things that for him are inseparable. His relationship to the Philippians and the lived out expression of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He's concerned with cultivating his relationship to the Philippians and the lived out expression of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul wants the believers in Philippi to know that his thankfulness for them and their care for him is not conditional on his need being met by their gift. And also he wants them to know at the same time that their generosity, well, it did indeed meet an actual need. He wants them to know that his thankfulness for their generosity isn't ultimately about it being geared specifically towards him but in it being an expression of their mutual love and belonging in Christ, of it being an expression of lived gospel, both in the giving and in the receiving. But this isn't easy to communicate. This isn't easy to communicate because so many of our mutual relationships, they are guided by principles of material reciprocity and quantification. Because so easily our generosity, it gets trampled by greed or it gets hijacked by abuse of power. So our giving can very easily be driven by guilt or it can feed a sense of entitlement because we are the ones who give. Also our receiving. We can feel entitled to the receiving or we can feel guilty in it. But, but the giving, these acts of generosity, it can, also be, it can also be something else. This is what Paul is aiming at. It can also be something else. It can be a fruit of grace, a fruit of freedom and of compassion. It can be an outcrop of the generosity of incarnation. There are three expressions that Paul uses here that for me convey this possibility of a generosity that is Cradled in the freedom of the gospel. Now, two of these expressions, they are some, some, somewhat missed with translation. 
When Paul says that the Philippians renewed their concern for him, the expression that he uses there is actually botanical language. He says that, that their concern, their thoughts for him, they blossomed anew, blossomed afresh. That's the expression. And, and, and this is the first of these three expressions that I mentioned. And the beauty of it is that this expression, blossomed anew, it is pregnant with life. Something renewed can be a dead thing that is renovated. But a something that blossoms anew is something that has had life in it all the time, waiting just for the spring to give it enough warmth for it to come forth. It, it's, it has an inherent quality of life waiting to burst forth when given the chance. The gospel path then to understanding what the content of this quality of life in this is, is what then is the second expression that gets lost in translation. Where we read, I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to be a need and I know what it is to, be, to have plenty. The language used is more akin to, I know how to be humbled. I know how to be humbled. The power of this expression, I know how to be humbled, is that in the context of Philippians, it again takes us back to the Christological hymn of chapter 2, which is the cornerstone of this whole letter, where Paul says, Have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. He humbled himself. This is the generosity of incarnation, of a self-giving God, a self-giving grace that makes itself present in need and in plenty with no less commitment to life and love. And this is why the third expression is, for me, is this expression, in the Lord. I rejoiced greatly in the Lord. Now, this isn't for Paul some kind of spiritualizing language. This is a concrete placing of himself and the Philippians within the context of the body of Christ, within the context of their mutual belonging to Christ and to each other, and to his love, the love of Christ for the world around them. So where before I saw awkwardness, and going into these three expressions of this blossoming of life, this quality of life that is mirrored in the incarnational generosity of Jesus Christ and this gathering of this all and this being in the Lord. All these expressions that come forth in this writing of Paul, before, where before I saw awkwardness, I now see 
abundance. Abundance. Not abundance of things necessarily. Not abundance of wealth or even abundance of some kind of spiritual credit. No, this is abundance of Christ. Abundance of Christ. The possibility of a generosity of incarnation. Of expressions of Christ in the world that don't lose sight of Christ with us and Christ for all. This abundance, it takes shape in concrete acts of kindness that meet concrete needs but it doesn't get lost in them because they are not its substance. They are its expressions. The petals fall and the flower blooms again elsewhere. And so suddenly this awkward thank you from Paul, it becomes for me a prayer, a prayer for us as we emerge from this winter of lockdown, a prayer that we may blossom anew in this generosity of incarnation, this generosity of presence of grace, this caring for each other that holds each other not in our hands, but in Christ's heart and presence. This spiritual practice of concrete generosity. And it is a challenge. It is a challenge for us. It is a practice that we need to cultivate and that we need to cultivate with our different resources. Money might be one, which is what Paul is thanking for here. But there's more, which Paul points at, right? And which we know of. There's more. There's time. There is care. There is listening. And there is embracing. There is crying together. And there is holding trembling hands and drying sweating brows. For us as, as people of Christ, they are expressions of a Christ with us, a Christ in us, expressions that burst from his presence with us and that draw us further into his presence with us. We need teachers in doing this. Teachers like that trash collector with his big smile and his ability to give with the freedom shout of, I like this. I'm in. Here's my way of doing it. And pulls the hard-earned cash from his pocket he gives it with a smile and he struggles on, pulling his cart, sleeping in it in that cold night. There's still need. There's, there's still toil. 
but there's Christ. There's a witness of this generosity of presence of grace. There's Christ. And there is the call for each and every one of us. Whatever the circumstances, whatever the circumstances, let us learn to not lock our hearts down. As we step out of lockdown, my prayer is that our hearts will be cracked open for the generosity of the present Christ. And so I pray that he may bless you and keep you. Christ may make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. That the Lord may turn his face towards each and every one of you. In your need and in your plenty, may he give you peace, may he give you joy, and may your love blossom anew. So go in peace and serve the Lord joyfully.